0: I'm Shannon Paradis, your host and founder of Learn, Laugh, Leap. I'll be bringing you content about self-discovery, how people find their purpose, live joyfully, and make an explosive impact on those around them. The podcast at its core is centered around health and wellness, but I want to start by learning from people that light up my life personally, laugh a lot, and then I want to have conversations with people that change the way we dream and empower us to leap forward, I'm so excited to take you on this journey with me. Let's leap in. Today I'm talking to Seth Paradis. I'm proud to call him my brother-in-law. He has every letter of the alphabet behind his name. What about Z, you say? I don't know, you should ask him, he probably does. He was in school for about 20 years, but he is a department chair for a university in Minnesota, as well as a program director and professor of human kinetics and applied science. So, since he's an expert in the health and wellness field, I need to pick his brain a little bit. We've got a special guest Seth Paradis, none other than the brother-in-law.
1: From another mother.
0: From another mother. Yes, of course. And you may be asking yourselves, why is she putting her brother-in-law on here when she's probably had many intimate conversations with him and knows all this stuff about him, but in reality, there's constantly kid interruptions, and I probably (laughs) haven't had more than a five-minute conversation without those interruptions with him. So I want to get down to the nitty-gritty of his background, what he's been up to, to, and his health and wellness journey.
1: First of all, I want to thank you for doing this because yeah. I'm excited for you when you see people kind of finding their passion and putting the ego aside to dive into things. You know, we have to pay the bills, but I think society, we you get on that uh, treadmill and worry about paying bills and not go down that lifelong learning and consumption of what really try to, that seed that God kind of planted in passion. And it's very obvious with you, so... Uh, Thank, Thank you for know. me to sit down and talk with you about this and yeah. actually learn hopefully a little bit from you too. So, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate that.
0: Yeah, Seth is a podcast lover, so <laughs> he was open to do this, but he didn't realize uh, what an amateur I am. So,
1: no, it, it all <laughs> has to start someplace. Come <laughs> yeah, on, Yeah, right? So, back um, to you. You know, the one common theme I think that I've heard in your podcast with your guests is with that passion behind it in the life to journey. And the common theme is a lot of people, it's been a part of their life when they were young as um, either a high school or collegiate athlete since i was a child i've always wanted to you know be active and in the 70s and the 80s when i grew up i'm 44 we were always active i was doing the math then a competitive athlete in high school in the glory days for over 26 years it's been a very big passion of mine to learn more about the human body and Mm -hmm. in the sciences but you know i i Started off my undergrad career as more of a pre-physical therapy, health fitness, learning the science behind the whys. My parents still think I was a ski bum in Colorado, uh, but I was finishing up my PT hours in Fort Collins, Colorado, and decided to go to Steamboat Springs and start Parasphysical fitness consultants there and got very lucky. Paradis fitness consultants? I uh-huh, yeah. didn't even
0: know that was a thing. I know.
1: I did that for about four years and made almost as much money as I'm making now as a full professor.
0: Oh my gosh. Um,
1: I got very lucky, got involved and did a lot of interaction with the Olympic ski jumping and Nordic combined team.
0: Okay, back up. Okay. How did you even get those
1: clients? I never said no. And I've always wanted to meet people. I've always wanted to learn from people. And my first opportunity was to um, go teach some nutritional, gender specific stuff out at Lake Placid to, before the women's Olympic ski jumping team existed. I got to go to a women's clinic out there at Lake Placid, and I did it for free and just got to present who I was and got to know people, and that really kind of blossomed into a lot more stuff there. It was an exciting time, and now I can look back at it and kind of look at how things really worked and connect 20 years later now. I would never see that opportunity now, but you go and you represent. You don't say no. Uh, You work hard, and you follow your passion, and it opens up some amazing things. I was working with the Olympic ski jumpers amazed the crap out of me. Somebody that was working with some amazing people um, over in Finland, his name was uh, Comey. If you look at explosive power in sports, yeah. um, stretch, shorten, cycle, explosive aspects, uh, one of his protégés, Jeff McBride, who's at Appalachian State, was coming back to Wisconsin. And I was lucky enough, he asked me to kind of come and do some stuff with him, um, more Olympic ski jumping stuff, but specifically uh, the neuro aspect within explosive power doing research with the olympic ski jumpers and in my masters the same sort of neural stuff was being looked at with orthopedic surgeons in kind of recovery from different surgical techniques at university of pittsburgh okay and that's when the neuromuscular research lab i kind of made a website back then about the research i was doing and he saw it and that brought me out to university of pittsburgh medical center where they were opening a brand new beautiful complex it was the pittsburgh steelers and panther their football team Mm -hmm. uh they have a sports complex but it was orthopedic surgery physical therapy and then our lab neuromuscular research lab Um, that we got to suddenly start looking at more of in the healthcare realm, how do we look at these things with uh, tissue degradation or tissue death during surgery, and how do we recover faster as well. That was really fun, So, and that kind of led to many, many things, but planted the seed of also uh, stress and stress of cytokines and hormones and, and kind of what I'm looking at now within well-being.
0: Is your focus more on prevention or recovery?
1: Working with Carnegie Mellon and other tissue labs, you know, you do tissue scaffolding for interaction of tissues for synthetics and also normal tissues for different orthopedic surgeries. Working with some biochemists and immunology, looking at certain cytokines or inflammatory proteins during that surgical or orthopedic aspect, and that was 15 years ago. Um, In the last decade or so, I've kind of really moved to, and um, I'm a a full professor, Um, I'm a chair, and I'm a director of an academic program. I spent a lot of time looking at trends within placement of graduate schools, from medical school to PT school. Also, the healthcare jobs in the current market. I have really realized in the last decade, we've overcomplicated things. Uh, and when we think that there's a correlation or a cause and effect within healthcare, it's just not right. There's a lot of system interactions. So the same stuff I was looking at with orthopedic research now, it's progressed towards how do we live our life or the ripple effects of all the dimensions of health and wellness to the systems of the bodies and what that affects with the microbiome to inflammatory response to epigenetics to preventing disease, but at the same time, how do we then use in the functional medicine matrix, how do we um, help somebody become healthy through addressing all the nodes or all the dimensions of wellness? Mm
0: -hmm. And cue my disoriented, confused look. So I want to get into the definitions of some of the words that he's using. Microbiome is everything in our body, microorganisms in a particular environment, which includes the body or a part of the body. We depend on a vast army of microbes to stay alive, a microbiome that protects against germs, breaks down food to release energy and produces vitamins. Functional medicine is a form of alternative medicine which focuses on interactions between the environment and the GI, um, the endocrine and immune systems. Now, in functional medicine, they use the word nodes rather than dimensions. There's seven nodes of, uh, on the functional medicine matrix. And one example would be assimilation, which refers to digestion and absorption of nutrients in the gut, as well as the balance of microbes that inhabit the digestive tract. So this is a, a relatively new exploration um, in medicine and a new way of looking at things. Was yeah. microbiome a word that you used 15 years ago?
1: Okay, we used to call it maybe leaky gut um, oh. um, it's just, what happens is then chronic inflammation or chronic sympathetic overstimulation cause not just a skin rash, that is actually a leaky gut aspect not allowing for some macros or micros to be absorbed. And now you know, we now know that between 60 and 80% of even serotonins that we've always thought were released from our other brain. In our between our ears, we thought that, you know, with anxiety and depression, that now we're learning that it has, uh, not, yeah, sure, the amygdala may be overstimulated and that sort of stuff. But we're realizing it's mainly because of what we've been doing to our our foods and how we produce our foods and the body's interaction with that or the chronic inflammation of that too. And it's not univariable. It's never one variable that affects it. It's so many aspects and the ripple effects. That's why I want to keep saying that you can never just talk about food. You can never just talk about exercise, but then you have to talk about relational. You have to talk about occupational. You have to talk about many beautiful things that impact each other. So Uh,
0: what? Let's move back to serotonin. I forgot what that was. I had heard it before. It contributes to your feelings of well-being and happiness. For example, when I see Channing Tatum with his shirt off, I'm producing serotonin. But if I had chronic inflammation, even if he was flexing his pecs hard in Magic Mike, I might just shrug and go, I'm unimpressed. Amygdala are neurons in our brain linked to fear, anxiety, and depression. Again, going back to mood. And then um, other brain. Why did he call the brain between our ears our other brain? The neurons lining the gut has now been nicknamed our second brain. The little brain in our innards partially determines our mental state and plays a key role in certain diseases throughout the body. Whoa. Oh yeah, and an explanation for macros and micros. Macros are the big guys. They think they're so cool. So the way I remember that is... The acronym PFC. Pretty friggin' cool. Proteins, fats, and carbs. And micros are the little guys. Vitamins and minerals. So chronic inflammation... Mm-hmm. Is that something that, that historically has never been this bad as it is present day? I don't know if it's more hype or if it's just the foods that we're eating, like you were talking about, all this processed junk. Mm-hmm. Is inflammation more of an issue now?
1: I think there's a threshold that our bodies can take in and process. Societally, I think every generation has a different perspective of um, external stressors of life. I think there's heartier generations before us and the expectations of, what is just a healthy living when it comes to expectations of houses and technologies that you have but technology stress I, i do lead a course in january called Integrative Medicine in Belize and that's a non-technology course and it's very interesting watching students go through the anxiety or the transition without the their technology in their pocket the phantom vibrations are always feeling connected when they at the end of the 21 days realize how freeing it is as well
0: they're not allowed to use phones correct for the whole 21 days
1: no, it's a surprise
0: to anybody even signs up for that <laughs> what they're getting into oh I can't use my phone oh I'm out it is
1: the it is the number one signed up j-term course i believe well
0: that's because you're teaching absolutely
1: location location (laughs) location (laughs) right yeah no and and we intentionally it's a slow paced one so
0: So let's talk a little bit about that that trip that j-term to Mm -hmm. belize Mm -hmm. what kind of stuff do um the students take away from it and what have you taken away from it
1: we overthink everything Everything at the same time is important. None of this really matters. Your podcast matters, obviously. But um, (laughs) it's of utmost utmost importance. But we've kind of lost our way on this planet of really why we're on this planet. Our bodies don't really care. You know, we use the word perceived stress. So my perspective of stress is different than you. Everybody's body chemistry is different. And we try to put everybody into this box for diagnosis or for nutritional intervention or for therapeutic intervention and it just doesn't work that way. And so working on the more of the functional medicine matrix, we we talk about how do we first learn it for ourselves, self-care techniques and looking at all the dimensions. But then how do we see the ripple effects between okay, nutrition and cognitive? How do we look at the between exercise and relational? All those sorts of things that really compound on each other and really help each other, and so we have an opportunity where um, we get to work with um, world-renowned. Her name is Dr. Rosita Arvigo. She started the Belizean medicinal trail. Has worked with U.S. So Gu-
0: Belizean what?
1: Medicinal trail. Oh, okay. Um, it, she works She, she kind of gathered all the the shamans, all the the traditional healers of Belize of the Maya tradition. And she actually worked with one of the the last famous uh, shamans for the last few years of his life as well, but has then reached out to U.S. government, funded through New York Botanical Gardens, to really start getting medicinal plants. And a lot of our, our pharmaceuticals come from Minnesota plant products, but usually it's only kind of little elements of that plant, and that's thus why we have side effects and many other things too. But so we get to work with people like that to show a different perspective. Um, we work with different other ancient traditions around the world that we just can't put data to, or Western medicine can't make billable. And so we, we try to uh, break down, if, even if they're going to be going into healthcare as a nurse or as an MD, or even if it's not, then we try to take students from all over the campus. So even it's about if they're going to be a teacher in a classroom, how do we understand that a little bit better to help students? Um, then we talk about, uh, self-care. Uh, we start with learning how to be and not do. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a big concept in our culture where I believe burnout is giving what you really don't even own. And so I kind of probably 10 years ago, um, In my faith journey, in my Christian faith, looking at certain parts of the Bible, when some people, Elijah was kicked ass, you know, he kicked ass over false idols, Jezebel wanted to kill him, and he was kind of running away. The Bible talks about him sitting under a tree, depressed, suicidal, just tweaked out, and it sounds like a lot of us in our culture these days. Amy Winehouse. And think—that's <laughs> you know, exactly who I was thinking. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's a, a I'm right here with you. Good job. We are no, definitely oh, on the same wavelength. Yeah, let's let's uh, pour one out for Amy right now. Stay <laughs> off, Amen. Stay off the drugs. Yeah, okay. Okay. okay, no, but that's another thing when it comes to we all also self-medicate. Yeah. And that, and you know, in addiction model, uh, there's healthy addiction and there's unhealthy addiction. And I had to, in my journey, look at why, you know, I was uh, having a glass of beautiful brown when I got home from work, a half bottle of wine or mm. other things just to find a different pace or slow myself down. And those sort of things. And uh, I don't judge everybody's journeys their own, but. We have to look at, well, how do we create this rhythm of doing and not being? In that story, when he was under the tree, the higher being, God actually did not come in a burning bush like Moses or earthquakes or anything like that. And and the translation is odd, but it comes in, he came in sheer silence. And I think we're in a culture of so much busyness and so much, we've lost the art of practice of meditation, of contemplative prayer. Of being present with each other, even in conversation, where biblically if it talks about if you create presence, then he is here, the higher thing is there. And right. so I think we've lost that art of actually just shutting up and being and concentrating on breath. I am started a book that I hope to get done in the next decade called Roundabout Ripples.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And so, it, it,
0: Roundabout it, Ripples?
1: Yeah. And so it's talking about the ripple effects. But the roundabout is, I think, we get in the sickle aspect of in meditation, in contemplative prayer, or whatever you want to call it. We're not talking about Eastern meditation of void, uh, but you have, you know, some people talk about the the chatty monkey or the monkey chatter. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have a brain that 10 years ago, you think that as you're showering and you're trying to go faster, that somehow that's going faster. I used to say that I didn't need sleep. Oof. It was probably the most important. But I figure stuff out all night long. And so for 26 years, I've loved this stuff. And I've always wanted to do and learn and grow. But I also lost the art of just being sometimes. I really, truly believe in our culture. Sometimes we don't know anything if we're not learning how to be at the same time. So it looks at the effects of not allowing for those thoughts to come into the brain, the monkey chatter, where you observe it and let it pass through. That's true meditation. And then come back to breath, but still acknowledge it. Sometimes then we just get in this loop, this sympathetic, inflammatory loop within the body that leads to unhealthy choices within nutrition, within relationships that doesn't allow us then to address many things because suddenly our biochemistry's off, our gut's leaking, uh, we're self-medicating, and it impacts our whole life and so how do we break that roundabout allow the traffic to move on and allow for them the healing effects of the ripple effect it's changed my life
0: so have you heard um i forget whose theory this is but of the blue zones that they're the healthiest um, places to live what he actually said was we can talk about those things the way that they live on a daily basis their patterns and habits but at the end of the day for us to have five hours of social interaction for us to work for six was like the ideal work time and for us to eat that type of diet and to be active for four you would have to actually live in those places it's hard for a lot of people even myself to wrap my head around we live in the United States and it's an extremely busy culture Yeah. and it's competitive we don't we don't have five hours of social time and we're not Europe so we don't have six hour work days Right. how do you overcome that?
1: you define it you create it it's easy for me at 44 I'm lucky enough to have the luxury, I get to create a space at an institution, at a university that define it. You take that time. It's a part of your practice to have faculty members, to have colleagues that feel like they need to always look busy. And if they're not busy, then they're not important or successful is then on my responsibility as hopefully their their representative as their pseudo leader to create an atmosphere that breaks down that BS. I think it's how you want to define First of all, your home and the culture of your home. First, you have to start with yourself and decide how that is and what you want to project as your priority system. And so if this is a priority and it's not a part of your daily mission, then you need to redefine that. And I don't think this world should define that. And that you have to put an ego aside because some people will judge it. You know yourself. You know how hard you work. You know where your passions lie. You know where your priorities lie. And I intentionally in the last five or six years, and it has to be intentional, um, and it has to be practiced on a daily Basis to not be defined by. Um, it, it, there's a new book called Altered Traits, and I um,
0: altered I want, traits.
1: Yes. Okay. And it's by uh, Davidson and Goldman, and it's a it's a really good book because you know you, everybody right now is using the words mindfulness or neuroplasticity or those sorts of things, but the the legit between the whole nature nurture aspect of it mm-hmm. is. We are, our neurons were trained from a very young age through our how we were parented, our life experiences and those sorts of things. But we learn now through, you just, you you experienced MRI. We know that through now uh, brain technology and imaging and those sorts of things that we can actually retrain traits that we feel that are so specific to us and stop blaming the past. And if we're intentional with the ripple effects and intentional with, redefining and practice through contemplative prayer or meditation and intentional aspects within the well-being we actually will rewire our brain it's not about food for me and eating whole foods and resetting the microbiome it's what actually happens biochemically after the effect between interaction of neurotransmitters and hormones within our immune system that's what i'm really into mm-hmm. and we don't have to go into those weeds But when I even say a rewiring of the brain, it's about then in a situation of stress, how does your body, who is in more control, the sympathetic response or do you learn to take a breath and not allow for that regulator to take over? So
0: do you cognitively rewire when you feel that stress coming up?
1: I go and I practice yoga, do strength training, and and I try to get, you know, Three to five days a week of something in that practice. I've done that since I was way too young, casually, and now I'm my best case study right now. But if I dedicate that time to those certain very specific physical components and stuff like that, it's silly for me not to look at the other things because I've learned, I'm a PhD in exercise physiology, is that the things that we focus on in our industry, the return on investment is so much less than looking at all the other components and the ripple effects of the other components compared to exercise. Not meaning that it's not healthy and it's not great, but when it comes to individual's health, our industry came up with accumulation of 30 minutes of some sort of activity. Accumulation, I'm driving far away, taking the stairs, blah, blah, sure. blah, of, of for most days of the week. But after that 30 minutes, the health the health benefits for reduction of disease and stuff like that are really not there. So there's so two. Do you different...
0: agree with that, or I
1: completely agree with that. Uh, and I know you've had other other guests on that are personal trainers and triathletes and stuff like. I've I've worked with professional athletes a lot, and there's nothing healthy about being a professional athlete. And, and, and most <laughs> professional athletes will tell you in the consulting world when you you can't talk about health to an an offensive lineman that's carrying 150 extra pounds to be on that offensive line, that person knows that that extra weight and what they're doing to stay at that weight is probably more detrimental Hmm. to their life long term, that they will probably not live as long as they could have another way.
0: That is one example, and that makes sense, but most professional athletes, you look at them and On the exterior, they look like they're in phenomenal
1: shape. There's a difference between phenomenal shape and being healthy. Yeah. Because when it comes to most professional sports, long-term-wise, the health consequences, um, it's more of a financial return on investment for um, this is their profession, this is what they know, and there's going to be a health consequence after the fact when nobody else is looking. Um, Very much so, Um, and so when you look at somebody and you go, okay, who's the the healthiest? You can never tell, Um, especially now as we start looking into cardiovascular health and those sorts of things. When we look at what we truly know, um, uh, what causes those sorts of things is, um, and also even the success rate. I love American College of Sports Medicine; they're kind of the gold standard for setting limits or. Uh, ranges for health history but also normative ranges for how active somebody needs to be for weight loss purposes and stuff like that. And I've been preaching it for a long time, but you have to that that governing body says that for weight loss people need 60 plus minutes a day of most days of the week of moderate to vigorous activity for weight loss. There's a reason why it's a multi-billion dollar industry in this country, but it just long-term success is not there for people. Nobody can maintain that. And what we've learned also with biochemistry and insulin and glucagon interactions and and insulin sensitivity and how we break and store down certain uh, substrates, carbs, fats, proteins, just in the last decade, we've learned this. Exercise is not going to be the the reason why somebody goes to a healthy normative range in in weight and LB is relative to fat or adipose too lean and keeps it off. Mm-hmm. It's just not.
0: Okay, let's whip out the Seth Paradictionary again here. Biochemistry is the science behind chemical processes in our body. Insulin is a hormone that regulates the amount of glucose in the blood and glucagon interactions. Um, it's a hormone that helps the breakdown of glycogen to glucose in the liver. So how did you find yoga? You said you mm-hmm. you started doing it way too early on. <laughs>
1: Yoga, yoga started as a hobby for me, probably in the in the 90s. Okay. The last, probably I would say, 12 years has been a very important component. Before it was a physical component, it started off as trying to mix up my strength conditioning or strength training with my my runs and those sorts of things. And I wanted to it was more of taking a break, maybe having a little bit less intense thing and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But it really morphed into a part of my active meditation practice and connecting breath, doing intentional prayer. Then the physical aspects came probably in the last decade, where um, pound for pound, I'm probably the strongest I've ever been. In mobility-wise and mobility wise and structure wise, of just how I. Lower back. I had some pretty significant uh, snowboarding accidents in the '90s and early 2000s, and I used to sleep every night with n- numb arms. And uh, but it's more of a, a meditation breath practice than a, um, a physical practice for me.
0: So, Interesting, yeah. and that was part of the reason why I wanted to talk to Seth because I've known you for 10 years. Cause Nick and I met in 2008. Yeah, Miami, Ohio. Um, <laughs> Miami, what? <laughs> And we just celebrated St. Patrick's Day, which was our meeting anniversary. That was the day that we met. I
1: don't know if you should ever admit to that again. <laughs> Nothing comes out of first meets at St. Patty's Day. <laughs> it's amazing. Mm-hmm. We actually made it work. You made it work.
0: But so, because since I've known you, you've had this kind of transformation. And you know yourself better than me. But what I've seen is that you seem the most like at peace and healthy than i've ever seen you Mm -hmm. you've always been you Mm -hmm. know a fit and calm person Mm -hmm. but this is like best self do you agree with that at all
1: no i'm i'm blessed to be at a very 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 good place in my life right now yeah i'm a lifelong learner and stripping the ego aside is the first step in many journeys and um my my beautiful almost 13 year old kai you know but he is you know he came out of the womb.
0: Head first, hopefully.
1: Head, uh, screaming, <laughs> fists, pumping, pumpin', uh, just a very anxious kid. You know, our children share the microbiome. They get it through uh, vaginal births. They share the same bacteria colonies uh, as their mothers. And they also take, uh, the epigenetically, they, they take some of that, that neuroplasticity with them as well, the biochemical threshold aspects. So he came out with a, a threshold aspect of just anxious child. He had a lot of uh, food issues right off the bat, too. But as he got older, it continued to foster into really anxiety and depression. It's still a, just a happy, kind child. But it, it got to where it was impacting his school. not just impact. He, he's a straight A student. Uh, even in seventh grade now, thinks he's the dumbest. You know, he's on the top oh traveling soccer team in, in the cities and he thinks he's not good at soccer. like a
0: self-deprecating thing. Yeah, but
1: you know, it's our culture would say that, but I I, I reduce it down to um, what is going on within our system interactions of our body. And so I'm bringing him up because that was the first time I really started consuming more stuff on microbiome and functional medicine certification for MDs and DOs were starting to come out as well. And usually the best people moving things forward are zealots or MDs within those areas that have children similar and there was talk of something called the GAPS diet, a gut and psychology uh, syndrome diet. And it was looking at how do you reset the microbiome and reached out to a functional medicine doctor at Children's Hospital. And we actually just had our five or six year checkup with him a, a month or two ago. And the transitional aspect of what I've seen in my child has just been amazing through breaking down the walls of mental health too. And hey, everybody needs therapy. Before they need therapy, we can't absorb certain micronutrients like zinc and B complex and, and D and those sorts of things that we know are so important with anxiety and depression levels. Um, if you have chronic inflammation, uh, you can't even produce the serotonin that you need, that we thought was here, and that we medicate. You know, medication is not a bad thing, but working in collaboration with that and so on and so on, that suddenly we can start working with doctors now, and we start working it. And so we started working on, okay, how do we reset stomach health, the microbiome?
0: The timing of this conversation is impeccable. I'm reading Michael Pollan's book called Cooked, and I'm about to go to his lecture on food, and I cannot wait to share some of his knowledge and insights with you. But Pollan's principles on the microbiome and a healthy gut are right in line with Seth's. Paulin talks about how the GAPS diet is recommended for anything from autism to ADD. Through leaky gut syndrome, bad bugs can allow toxins to seep into the bloodstream, but if you eat fermented foods, it can help reset that gut by reintroducing healthy bacteria or probiotics that will improve digestion, reduce inflammation, educate the immune system and even prevent cancers of the gi
1: so we started doing that and upping those micros and um, used to have skin issues, and most skin issues are just not things that you can absorb through the gut, so they have to, skin's a beautiful thing, filter system, the largest organ of our body, so a lot of times it pronounces itself on the skin first. And So
0: what uh, has he eliminated from his
1: diet? We've lost this concept of wh- where our food comes from and the quality of what, if, we, if you're a carnivore, what the pigs, what the cows, what the chickens are eating, the quality of eggs, little thin shells should not be little thin shells. They they should be nice and thick because it's based on what quality of food they are eating. Are they free range? Are, are they eating normal things? Or are we are making them eat stuff that they should have never eaten to get them fat? Um, so whole foods, a well-balanced diet, no preservatives or food colorings, things that are naturally there with that we should be eating. Um, How
0: hard is that for him as a kid? He's probably surrounded by it at school.
1: Yeah, you know, and we make a lot of home lunches. So you got to start there, but, you know, we do family meals uh, 98% of the time, um, even with all the sports and um, wow. music and life that we do. We really intentionally work on that. Whole foods, and, and especially with kids, you don't want them to go to the and especially with his with anxiety and stuff like that it can go down a pathway of obsessing about it too much too as a parent if you control for 70 80 90 percent of it and then educate why this food is medicine and why this is well it's not fair that so-and-so has gets to have twinkies all the time but it doesn't affect his anxiety or their anxiety but affects yours so it's an ownership in the journey too And now that he's almost 13 he, he truly understands his body better than anybody and you know he knows if he goes on a church retreat and eats crap, he's going to feel sluggish and feel a little bit, you know, anxious for the next week. And, Tweaking. Uh, Tweaking. But he, he knows that the, the system will interact to uh, just some foreign bodies in there.
0: Things that we've learned from Seth thus far... If you're trying to learn and grow in a field that you're passionate about, never say no to an opportunity. And don't just stop at what you know, because as Seth said, he has learned the most about health and wellness in the last decade. And that's after all of his schooling and education. Practice being rather than doing. Don't lose the art of contemplative prayer, being present, and meditation. Define your culture. Don't let society or the culture that you live in define you. You can reset your microbiome through healthy eating, and we're going to learn more from Seth on how he has changed his diet due to what he has learned, who his mentors are, and why. He'll also dig into intentional prayer and his daily devotional in the next episode of Learn Laughly.